0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-Free Listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Without the
1: ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.
0: Please be advised that the descriptions in this podcast are graphic. This is Chapter 7 of Blood and Truth, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Today, on the row, I'm Leonora Lapeter Anton. This story is about a man who has served 42 years on Florida's death row. He says he's innocent. For more than two decades, he's been asking the state to allow for complete DNA tests of the evidence in his case. Florida keeps saying no. If Tommy Ziegler is telling the truth, he has been locked up all these years, waiting to be executed for crimes he didn't commit. That's more than 15,000 days behind bars. What is that like? One day in August of 1998, Dale Resinella steeled himself as he entered Florida's death row. The electronic door grinded shut behind him. Resinella's rock port squeaked on the concrete corridor as he walked from cell to cell meeting the condemned men he would be ministering. Resinella had been a Wall Street finance lawyer before deciding the work wasn't meaningful enough. He had signed up to serve as a voluntary chaplain to hundreds on death row and another 1,500 in solitary confinement.
2: When a person has never been in these highest security state prisons in Florida before, to begin to be introduced to the physical facilities themselves in August is a double shock. Because in addition to the strangeness of everything inside, the bars, the noises, the locked gates, the, the cells with the bars in front facing a blank wall or a closed window, in August it is incredibly hot uh, and highly humid there's no air conditioning in death row and solitary confinement. So the pervading feeling one has coming into this environment for the first time in August is one of unreality. So as Father Joe, who was training me to replace him for the cell-to-cell-to-cell ministry of the church in death row... As he's taking me into this corridor, he's telling me who the people are that I'm going to meet. So I know that the first time they saw me, I looked like a drowned rat because I was sweating bullets. (laughs) But they were also sweating bullets, and this is just life on death row in Florida in the summer.
0: Resinella came to be known as Brother Dale and soon grew more comfortable in his surroundings and more familiar with the men he counseled. On the row, angry men sometimes screamed at him, said he knew nothing about their worlds. Others barely looked up. Temperatures can reach more than 100 degrees on death row. Before they were allowed nine-inch fans, Ziegler used to dip his sheet in water and put it over himself to keep cool. In the winter, there is heat, but only when it's really cold. Resinella said he's seen a man break the ice on his toilet with his toothbrush handle.
2: How someone in those cells, these six by 10 foot cells with a stainless steel shelf for a bunk and a stainless steel toilet sink in the corner and a property locker to put their papers in and that's pretty much it how one in that cell handles this environment tells you a lot about the person you're meeting and one might be able to fake it for a day or two But the conditions themselves, the reality of the physical environment and the environmental conditions strip away the veneers. There's no veneers. Within a very short period of time, you have a pretty good sense of the person you're talking to and what they choose to talk about in that situation in that heat, in that discomfort, their affect, the way they address you tells you a tremendous amount about the person on the other side of these bars right in front of me.
0: Resinella felt at ease around Tommy Ziegler who always came to the gate of his cell to talk. Ziegler called himself a footwashing Baptist. He seemed gentle and cheerful Unlike most, he always asked about Resinella's life.
2: I finally said to Tommy one time when I was there to see him and pass out literature and to talk, and I said, what are you doing here? You stick out like a sore thumb. He had never told me about his case. He had never said anything to me about the events that brought him to Florida's death row. And he looked at me and he said, well, you know I'm innocent, right?
0: Resinella couldn't imagine anyone on death row being innocent, not with as many appeals as they get to file. How is that even possible? Ziegler said his case had been explored in a 1992 book, Fatal Flaw. The following week, Resinella bought it and started reading.
2: And I got very, very concerned that in addition to this being a horrendous mistake, there could actually have been purposefulness in the mistake, not by everyone, but by some. A
0: few months later, Rasinella visited the Midtown Manhattan law offices of Ziegler's appeals lawyers and spent several days looking through thousands of pages of documents stored floor to ceiling. He read all about the case, which seemed to offer a textbook example of all the judicial system's flaws. He saw how the state attorney's office had failed to turn over to defense lawyers some police reports and witness statements that supported Ziegler's version of the story.
2: And not only did nothing dissuade me from my concern that Tommy Ziegler is an innocent man on death row, The more I learned and the more I read, the more concerned I got.
0: As a chaplain, Rasinella was forbidden from advocating for inmates. His job was to read them scripture and pray, to listen and give communion. If they asked for him before they were to be executed, he went. He's witnessed 18 Florida executions. It is the hardest work he's ever done, but it has given him peace. He could lose his privileges at death row if he was too outspoken on an inmate's behalf. But he couldn't stop thinking about Ziegler. If he was innocent, that meant he'd lost everything, his wife and in-laws, his home and his business, his name and his freedom. That would mean he too was a victim.
1: get up at a quarter to three every morning that's what i did on the street i have changed i make my bed i do my devotions i do my exercise uh, i eat breakfast i write letters i read my, my uh, schedule in here is the same as it was out on the street it gives me time to do my devotions and, and clean up and uh, do my exercise before breakfast,
0: do you still run back and forth in the, in the cell? Or? No,
1: I had to quit that. How come? I got arthritis in the knees. Okay. And you know, that, 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 those arthritis boys are bad.
0: Ziegler has always been a thin man, but he looked almost skeletal when I last saw him, which was in the summer of 2018. His pale, freckled skin stretched tight over a six foot two frame. Last year, he caught the flu, and his weight dropped below 143 pounds. With Ziegler, it's hard to know what's beneath the surface. He's not prone to introspection. He likes to talk about the facts in his case, but not about how he feels about all that has happened. In pictures from the past, before he went to prison, he seems different, maybe even warm. In one, he is nose-to-nose with the walker hound he named Mr. Patches. In another... He looks like a teenager and smiles broadly in a studio shot with his parents. In a third, on his wedding day, he smiles down at Eunice in her imported linen wedding gown. It was trimmed in Venice lace.
1: It's one of those things where when somebody comes along, you know immediately, this is somebody special. This is somebody you want to be with. That's the way it was with her. And from that point in time on, I never went out with anybody else. Even the, even the, the period of time before we were married, I never went out with anybody else.
0: Gerald Ford was president and gas was 59 cents a gallon when Ziegler arrived in July 1976 at Florida State Prison. He was 30 years old. Only one of the 343 others has been on death row longer and only by three months. The men on death row are a blur of society's ills and humanity's vices, of rape and cruelty and jealousy and poverty and mental illness. They murdered for money, for betrayal, for intellectual pleasure and for hire. Those on death row are divided between Union Correctional Institution and Florida State Prison, adjacent facilities flanked by cow pastures about 45 miles southwest of Jacksonville in North Florida. Their numbers are shrinking because of challenges to the death penalty. About 60% are white, 37% are black. 58 have lived there 30 years or more. 10 men have been there for more than 40 years. They are confined to their cells all but twice a week when they are allowed two hours in the prison yard and ten-minute showers. They are brought three meals a day, the first at 5 a.m., and eat with a spork. Ziegler's cell is on a second floor in a row of 14. None of the men can see each other. If he wanted to talk with the guy a few cells down, he'd go up to the cell bars and yell out to him. Everyone would quiet down and let them talk. Sometimes the conversations go on for hours, with others chiming in. They talk about sports or politics or death. They're a noisy bunch. The chatter echoes off the steel and concrete, along with the clanking of heavy gates, the whirring of metal doors.
1: Some conversations are a minute or less, and uh, some are an hour, depending if you get a, if, if a big case comes through, and the court rules on it, you talk that case out. Why did they do this? They should have done this. No, they shouldn't have done this because this would have happened and so forth until you till you come to a conclusion as to why and how. That starts about 11 o'clock in the morning and uh, goes until 9.30 at night.
0: There's a law library on death row where prisoners can obtain the latest rulings from the Supreme Court. Ziegler follows court rulings on his fellow inmates and continues to be very active in his case.
1: There is not... A decision that comes out of the Florida Supreme Court that I don't get it and read it. I do that for one reason and one reason only. I want to know how the issue was presented to the court and how the court ruled on it. the only thing I'm interested in is the appeal issue and how the court ruled on it that gives me the um, know how, if we go to file something, to say, no, 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 let's do it this way. This is what happened in such and such case.
0: Most of Ziegler's Department of Corrections record is at the Florida Archives in Tallahassee. It reveals a man who has learned to cope with his environment. In initial intake forms, a psychologist worried about Ziegler fitting in. He wrote that Ziegler had effeminate characteristics— He was a member of the American Cat Fanciers Association and liked to read English literature. His IQ was listed at 115. The subject is definitely not one of the common criminal type individuals we often see at this institution, an inmate classification specialist wrote. Ziegler's record on death row shows he has been disciplined several times over the years. Once for having an illegal coil to heat coffee, and another time for possessing a tiny screwdriver to fix his glasses. He was also cited for flooding the floor of his cell with tap water. He hasn't been afraid to challenge authority and has, over time, won the respect of fellow inmates. When he first got to death row, he wrote a letter complaining that the prison had improperly confiscated $10 in canteen money. He griped about it in multiple letters up the chain of command, but the state wouldn't budge. Once, in 1980, when his bunk was tossed, he wrote out a list of what the guards had taken. He'd lost headphones, a couple of warm-up suits, a watch, extension cord, dictionary, a cross-pen set, Westlaw books, and five books, including The Real War by Richard Nixon and Go Quietly or Else by Spiro T. Agnew. Another time, in 1988, a guard decided to move him because he refused to deal with the floor's new runner, an inmate selected to provide assistance with Death Row's law library. Every inmate on Ziegler's row packed his bags and asked to be moved with him, according to one report. He alone was transferred to another wing. All Death Row prisoners are relocated frequently. In the first 12 years Ziegler was there, he was moved 40 times. Ziegler used to play chess with the man in the next cell, Ted Bundy. Since they couldn't see each other, they called out moves. Bundy was executed nearly 30 years ago, and Ziegler no longer plays.
1: I just got too old and too tired of of playing with it. I went to Pinochle after the chess. You
0: went to Pinochle? Pinochle. Wait, that's a card, right? Yeah. Okay, so how do you play a with somebody else? They have a deck of cards, well, so they have a deck of cards. Well, you take it out on the yard and you play it out on the yard. He used to make sweaters and scarves until the guards took away his plastic knitting needles after a rules change. The guards, by the way, call him Ziggy. Ziegler used to run in his cell back and forth for hours to get exercise. For him, it's two paces each way. But he messed up his knees, so now he does a 1,000 sit-ups on even days and 500 push-ups and 400 backarm push-ups on the odd days. It takes him about three hours. If he didn't, he said, he'd go to seed. He takes Sundays off. The rest of the time, he reads, writes letters, watches news, golf or football on his 13-inch TV, and stares at the empty walls. Resinella, the death row chaplain, said the TVs were provided because the men don't have access to the chapel and it allows them to participate in worship services. But they were also able to pick up some TV channels. Recently, Ziegler was allowed to purchase a tablet to send and receive email. Ziegler has dodged death twice. Governor Bob Graham signed his first death warrant in 1982. Ziegler promised to quit smoking Kent's if he avoided the second warrant issued in 1986. He said he hasn't smoked since. Ninety-five men and two women have been executed in Florida since the death penalty's revival. Ziegler has been around for each of them. He sat in the next cell over when John Spankelink left for the electric chair in 1979. Spenkelink had killed a hitchhiker in Tallahassee six years earlier. We heard, the, uh, we heard it
1: when they came to get him. Uh, it smelled like burnt bacon
0: when they fried him. Prisoners all know when one of their own is about to be executed and are also well aware when it's over. You see the hearse come in.
1: Uh, back when the electric chair was there, I don't know how it is now with the, uh, with the gurney there, but back with the electric chair, you heard the, um, the uh, generator running. Then when they actually engaged the chair, the lights flickered and the generator picked up. Then you would see the vans leave the death house and uh, go out, and then you would see the hearse come in and pick the body up.
0: In many ways, Ziegler's story takes us through the modern history of the death penalty in Florida. The U.S. Supreme Court, in a 5-4 vote, had overturned capital punishment in 1972, three years before the furniture store murders. The justices said the system was too arbitrary to pass constitutional muster. They cited racial prejudice, innocent people being executed, and inexperienced defense lawyers. The death sentences of more than 600 inmates were overturned. But Florida became the first state to revise its law, providing tiers of scrutiny and a narrowed definition of who should receive the death penalty, the goal being to create a fairer system. It also became one of three states alongside Delaware and Alabama to give the trial judge, rather than a jury, the final say. On July 2, 1976, the U.S. Supreme Court restored the death penalty across the country. The decision came the same day Ziegler's jury convicted him. And later, of course, it was the judge and not the jury that sent Ziegler to death row. Since that day, in 1976, nearly 1,500 people have been executed in the United States, more than 1,200 of them in the South. Texas has executed the most, over 550. Florida, fourth on the list, has executed 97 by lethal injection or the electric chair. But the problems once cited by the high court persist. In Florida, 28 people have been exonerated from death row, more than any other state, according to the Death Penalty Information Center. Most of the men exonerated in Florida were minorities, and combined, they spent 201 years incarcerated for crimes they didn't commit. That includes Frank Lee Smith, who spent 14 years on death row. In 1985, he was accused of raping and murdering an 8-year-old girl in her Fort Lauderdale bedroom. Smith told officers that he'd been home at the time of the murder. Under pressure from police, a woman identified Smith, even though she would later say she knew it wasn't him. Smith's defense attorney did not pursue hair or blood analysis and kept his client from testifying to prevent jurors from finding out about prior convictions.
1: Uh, Frank told me point blank and in no uncertain terms he told me, I didn't do this. I've done a hell of a lot that I could have been here for, but this one I did not do. And he said that from day one until.
0: Three and a half years after his conviction, Smith's appeal was turned down. Governor Bob Martinez, who had pledged if elected that Florida's electric bill would go up, signed his death warrant. At the time, there was no DNA statute. Here's Seth Miller, executive director of the Innocence Project of Florida.
2: There was an intrepid um, an intrepid detective at the Fort Lauderdale Police Department who on his own realized the similarities between the facts of the cases and and other cases that were unrelated that made him think they had a serial rape murderer on their hands. And he ordered all the DNA testing outside of the criminal process, uh, outside of the court process, and it matched a serial rape murderer named Eddie Lee Mosley.
0: All 28 death row inmates from Broward County eventually had the evidence in their cases reviewed for potential DNA testing. Pinellas County did the same thing. In Broward, DNA tests connected Mosley to another case. Jerry Frank Townsend, a carnival worker, had confessed to six murders and a rape. His attorneys said he had the mental capacity of an eight-year-old and wanted to please police. In June 2001, Townsend walked out of prison after 22 years. Smith never left. He died of cancer at age 52. That was 10 months before DNA tests proved him innocent.
2: So he was posthumously exonerated, but he never got to you know, get out and have the kind of treatment that probably would have helped him, um, maybe beat the cancer, or at least uh, mitigate you know, the kind of terrible uh, effects of, of the disease, um, you know, had he been outside and had you know, better care.
0: One day in October 2010, Ray McEachern waited for Ziegler inside the visiting room at Union Correctional Institution. I was there too. McEachern is the guy from episode one who mortgaged his house to pay a reward of $25,000 if someone comes forward with new information that sheds light on Ziegler's innocence. He wore Velcro sneakers and a Florida State University ball cap. Around McEachern, Two dozen convicted murderers in orange jumpsuits perched on metal stools around metal tables with friends, pen pals, grandchildren. Surprisingly, I didn't feel anxious, surrounded by killers. In fact, Ziegler says no one would dare to make trouble in the cafe for fear that they'd lose the weekly privilege of visitors. Ziegler appeared through a door and smiled easily at McEachern. The men had become friends, even though McEachern supported the death penalty. They talked about sports, politics, the books Ziegler was reading. He just finished The Hard Way by Lee Child and started Jeffrey Archer's novel, Cain and Abel. McKeachern asked him, What would you be doing with your life if you hadn't spent 35 years here? You ever think about that? Ziegler responded, I take it for granted that I would be doing the same thing I was doing when this thing happened. Here's McKeachern.
1: I didn't meet him till about 10 or 12 years ago. But I have known about the case for 40 years. And when I went up after I retired, I decided to go meet him. And indeed, I asked him to show me his wound. And he surreptitiously, because we were in what I call the Death Row Cafe, which is a place where you can go and sit and talk to the the people on death row.
0: On that day in 2010, McEachern brought up the idea of seeking clemency from Governor Charlie Crist. No governor wanted to appear soft on crime in Florida, and none had granted clemency since 1983. But McEachern thought Ziegler had a better shot with Crist than in the courts. McEachern had already written the governor, the attorney general, numerous judges, the Florida Bar, the Judicial Qualifications Commission— the FBI, and dozens of others on Ziegler's behalf. He'd hired private investigators at his own expense and created a website on which he posted numerous YouTube videos with titles like The Tommy Ziegler Injustice and Theories of the Crime. He lay awake at night worrying about Ziegler dying on death row. This could be his last chance. Ziegler shook his head. He didn't want clemency. He wanted to clear his name. Ziegler has spent 27 years fighting to get all of the evidence against him tested for DNA. The evidence is stored at the Orange County Courthouse in Orlando. Bloody shirts and shoes are preserved in paper bags in a humidity controlled vault.
2: Now, with someone like Tommy Ziegler, I would look him point blank in the face and I would say, Does this make you angry? More often than not, he would say it makes me frustrated. It makes me wonder if things are ever going to get straightened out. It makes me feel like no one really understands what has happened or what is happening. It makes me feel isolated and alone, dealing with this.
0: That was Resinella, the death row chaplain. He visits Ziegler on death row often.
2: One of the things that this work has required me to adjust to is that people held in this condition for long periods of time, it affects them. It affects the way they talk. It affects the way they express themselves. It affects the way they relate. We take for granted facing someone when we talk to them. That's how we talk to each other. The men in the death row cells are facing a closed window or a blank wall. And much of what we've learned on how to talk to each other and how we send those informal signals to each other is totally not used when you never talk to anybody that's in front of you. I have consciously had to try to understand how the men that I'm talking to on death row are affected by this prolonged incarceration that includes social isolation. It's also in an environment where emotion can be punished. If one shows anger overtly or frustration, they can end up with a disciplinary infraction. It's not at all a world that any of us are used to or know much about dealing with. I cannot imagine the human emotions that go with being in this kind of isolation for over 40 years for something I didn't do. When I try to picture myself in that situation, I am amazed that he has the reputation he has with the staff and the other inmates for being stable, constant, reliable, and caring over the long haul.
0: So many of the guys on death row are likely guilty, Racinella says. Nothing over the course of 20 years has made him feel as if Ziegler is. Racinella, the author of several books, including Now I Walk on Death Row, has shared his concern about Ziegler's case with Bishops, a retired French high court justice, and Pope John Paul II. This
2: is the only case that I have become this invested in, in terms of making sure people know what happened. And there is a huge number of people worldwide who are convinced, not just from what they've been provided by us, but by what they have found out themselves investigating themselves, reading the book, reading the articles, reading what's been in the newspapers, they are convinced that tommy ziegler is innocent and they are actively watching this case and expecting that this mistake will be corrected
0: i asked ziegler last year how he handles his reality
1: i've done everything i can do there's nothing else left for me to do i have hope because of the way i was raised I was raised that if you tell the truth, the truth's gonna find you out. Truth's gonna bear out. And I can't believe that God has put me through this for 41 years and not gonna straighten it out. I can't believe that. I've got to, I've got to believe he's gonna straighten it out. As far as truth in the system, no ma'am, I don't have any truth in the system. I don't think the system has truth in it. I don't have any hope in the system. I'm not angry. If you let hate come into your into your life, it's like a cancer. It consumes you. I want my name back. I can't get my name back without clearing this. I want my name back. And whatever time's left, I just want to live it.
0: On the next episode of Blood and Truth. If I'd been
1: the trial judge, I would have sentenced him to life because that's what the jury suggested or recommended. And that way, Ziegler would have been buried in the back of the Department of Corrections and we'd have never heard from him again. (laughs) But instead, a death sentence got imposed. And so now we've gone through all of this for all these years, and God knows how much money it's cost. You, You cannot
0: win. Catch up with the earlier episodes of this podcast on major hosting platforms. And if you like the series, please rate and review us on iTunes.